Federal acquisition experts say the frustration over the time it takes the government to buy something and the impact of new technology are starting to align. The Trump administration, the Congress, and industry are set to make the first significant changes to federal procurement since the 1990s. In his weekly feature, The Reporter's Notebook, executive editor Jason Miller writes about why you might be witnessing a sort of new golden age of acquisition reform. Jason joins me now with the latest. And Jason, do tell, a golden age of procurement reform sounds like just gold. Just like gold, exactly. Now, a lot of people will say, well, when was the first golden age of procurement reform? Because people feel like the frustration and and the... Uh, you know, it gets such a bad name across government. Oh, got to buy something. Oh, it's going to take so long. It's so much bureaucracy, so much red tape. But a lot of people that I've talked to in, over the years, and you have too, point to the you know mid-1990s you know, when, when Bill Clinton was the president and Steve Kelman was the OFPP administrator, and they ushered in that era of GWACs, you know, government-wide acquisition contracts and commercial buying. You know, since then, Tom, where have we been and what changes have been made? There have been some bits and pieces, but there's there's this really, I think, big push across government, across industry, and in Congress, which is the most important part. And that's why I think there's this belief that this is the second, we're entering the dawning of the second golden age. This is the dawning of... All right, uh, I was going to say... No, no singing. We might call it the third golden age, because you might say the Brooks Act of whenever that was in the... 80s. Well, no, the Brooks Act goes back to the late 60s, I think, or 70s. And uh, giving the GSA its authority over procurement, that was wave one. And then the Clinton-era reforms, followed by Klinger-Cohen, was in the second wave. So now here we are at the dawn of the third, and tell us more about it. I think there's several things that have been happening, Tom, over the last, if you will, 18 months or so that's really getting us to this point. We had the Section 809 panel, which uh, really looked at DOD and the way the Defense Department buys uh, products and services, especially commercial items. You've seen a lot of push from internally from the Office of Management and Budget, uh, Office of Federal Procurement Policy around acquisition innovation, like acquisition innovation advocates, like things like even though this frustrates people, category management and strategic sourcing. That is all part of this discussion. But what, what, what really brought, I think, over the top that says, is, is this the dawning of, of the second age of acquisition reform? are six proposals from OFPP to Congress to make major legislative changes in, in, in many regards to the way agencies buy goods and services. Now, of, of themselves, there's not necessarily five of them are pretty basic, and I'll go through them in a little bit. But the one that really stands out is this creation of an acquisi- acquisition modernization test board. And basically, this would modernize OFPP statute authority for you know testing government-wide acquisition innovations. They said that this authority has not been changed since 1974. And, Tom, you know this very well. That's a long time ago. Yes. Well, that was when Jack Brooks was still still in Congress. And so what uh, what more do we know about the change in the statutory authority, just that it would give it more authority to initiate government-wide experiments? Exactly, in many ways. It's test programs, it's pilots, it's proof of concepts, and it's giving OPP and the agencies then the ability to fail. Hey, we're going to give you some top cover because one of the biggest challenges we've seen over the years, Tom, across acquisition is this risk aversion, not just of acquisition professionals and contracting officers, but of lawyers, of of auditors, of IGs and GAO. And what OFPP is basically asking Congress is, tell us it's okay to try something. And if that something fails, that tells us that's okay too. So we can then figure out what does work and then share that across. The other thing it does is gives OFPP, OFPP the ability to waive certain procurement laws that maybe would stand in the way of acquisition. So we're talking about potentially anything from the Buy American Act 
to you know, Truth and Negotiations, to the Trade Agreements Act. Uh, a lot of things that we're seeing with the GSA e-marketplace effort that's just at the uh, simplify the micro-purchase threshold, so but below uh, $25,000. We're speaking with Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller, and you mentioned that was one of six things. Give us briefly the other five that OFPP is asking Congress to do. A lot of the other things they're doing is cleaning up like basic stuff, inconsistencies in the FAR. And we have a link to the full, I think it's a 44-page proposal from the administration on federalnewsnetwork.com. They can find it there. But a couple of things, for instance, are coming from the Section 809 panel, like reducing the number of cost accounting boards and decoupling the threshold for using cost accounting standards from Truth and Negotiations Act. This gets into the weeds a little bit. But basically what Congress did was they created a cost accounting board for civilian agencies and one for DOD. And I think the last administration and this one are saying it's not really necessary. Can we just have one so we're consistent across the board? The other one is also, for instance, raising the uh, the the bid protest authority. And this is actually a big one for task order contracts. Right now, uh, civilian agencies is at $10 million. Anything over $10 million can be protested to GAO. Uh, the the DOD threshold is twenty five million, and and what this administration wants to do is bring everybody to twenty five million. To me, that's actually a very big deal because twenty five million in DOD world is not a lot of money, but twenty five million dollars, and it's over the life of the contract, is actually a bigger deal for civilian agencies and task orders in, in and of itself tend to, are being used more and more. So to reduce the ability to protest on, on big task orders, I think that could have a, a big effect and that will draw a lot of attention. It sounds like they are remaining with the basic concepts of competition, the Competition and Contracting Act, Act and that as, as the basis for how you use public dollars to buy things. But maybe over the years, over the decades, the FAR has become too cluttered and that and trying to get back to the basics of we need a solid competitive market and realism from contractors and in bid proposals. But there's got to be a simpler way to do it than the way we've – it's almost like a Baroque cathedral they've ended up building here. I think you're absolutely right. I think cluttered is a great word because a lot of things that are happening in the FAR does include flexibilities. They does give agencies a lot of room to maneuver. And you hear this often from acquisition professionals. Don't tell me you can't do something. Show me in the FAR where it says you can't. And if it doesn't, then do it. And that's why also I think this Acquisition Modernization Board, I would talk about top cover, is it's not enough just because it's in the FAR. It's, it will give agencies that kind of push to be more innovative and not worry about the, if there are potentially consequences. And, and I think Congress has shown their interest in that with, for instance, giving other transactional authorities to DOD and some other agencies to say, hey, go try something different. Go do something that necessarily doesn't follow A, B, C, D of the FAR. All right. And uh, while we have you, Jason, you're also writing about DISA, the Defense Information Systems Agency, and they're planning to consolidate 14 networks and a bunch of other commodity IT. What's going on there? This is part of their fourth estate consolidation effort. Now, the fourth estate includes, for instance, Defense Logistics Agency, DFAS, Defense Health Agency, and some smaller ones. And what they're basically doing is saying, they put out a request for information to industry saying, hey, help us develop this model. It's going to be a government-owned, contractor-operated model, so the old GoCo model. I know you've been following this. And what's interesting about this beyond the RFI is they're, they're thinking the number one area that they're, the goal is savings. They think they can save $170 million from this consolidation, this network optimization. And what they can do then is take that money that they're saving and put it towards lethality, war fighting. And I think that's been a big push from DOD for, for uh, several years now. And what's also interesting about this effort, the fourth estate consolidation, is 
it's this is outside of the big Jedi controversy, right? This is outside of the big DOS procurement that a lot of systems integrators are really following closely and, and interested in. And what this fourth estate network optimization effort may do is show DOD really the real path to the cloud. Consolidation of networks, you know, apps rationalization, uh, working together in a shared service environment, cost savings, better security, all those things that the cloud has been promising for the last decade can come quicker and more effectively with this fourth estate consolidation versus these other programs which are Big bang, a lot of attention, but may not have the impact that this would. So you have a theme here, really, attention to the small details and the clutter and clearing out some of the baggage to make the basics simpler. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what they realize with this fourth estate is they've all grown up on their own. They each have their own set of networks, their own set of technologies, commodity, back office commodity. Uh, I'll give you one quick example. Uh, at the FCA TechNet conference during the presentation, they talked about, just talked about Hey, we're not going to buy Dios. Each of these agencies are not going to buy Dios under the fourth estate. My office, I mean, DISA will buy Dios, which is, you know, Microsoft Office tools, collaboration, desktop support types things. And then we will, if you will, farm it out to the rest of the, 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 the fourth estate agencies. And that way they'll save money, uh, volume discounts, and better overall services because it's going to come through, if you will, one area instead of 14 separate areas. All right. Well, if you want to know more about it, Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. And check out his notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target Red Card, you'll save 5% every day, in-store and online. Find the Red Card that's right for you, whether it's debit, credit, or Target's new Red Card Reloadable, which doesn't require an existing bank account or credit check. With Target Red Card, you'll get exclusive deals and free shipping on most items. Visit Target.com slash RedCard to get all the details. It's always a great day to save. Restrictions apply.